Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. The text may be found on page 919 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Allie mentioned in her welcome uh, that it's been a busy summer, uh, vacations and mission trips and second homes and all the rest, but we're starting to come back together for, uh, for the regular season. Although I think if Facebook is uh, showing it accurately, roughly half of our congregation is this morning not in a pew, but in a beach chair somewhere <laughs> with... Uh, something cold in one hand and a beach paperback in the other, uh, reading something with roughly the literary nutritional value of a hostess Twinkie. (laughs) But they're on vacation and that's what you do. And And vacations are just wonderful opportunities to restart. You don't, you don't have to produce a thing. You just escape the urgent and erase the board and unplug and think again. It's not to say that we don't think when we're not on vacation. It's just that we're usually not giving ourselves to the wide open space to think big things. Vacation kind of gives us the chance to do that. When we're not on vacation, we think about deadlines and laundry and medical appointments and dinner menus 
But when we are on vacation, we, we kind of step away from that stuff, right? And we open up to think the big, big things. We're walking the shoreline or the mountain ridge. And we ask stuff like, does my life matter? And, and, am I living for things that value I'm, I'm accomplishing things. <laughs> Am I accomplishing anything that actually endures? Somebody once said that he climbed the ladder of success, climbed every rung, climbed all the way to the top, only to find out it was leaning against the wrong wall. Today's scripture is a vacation Bible passage. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Some Bible passages lead us to think more deeply and more seriously about something smaller and specific. An example would be Matthew 18. If another member of the church sins against you, go point out the fault when the two of you are alone. See, I might preach a little sermon on that. What to do if you're fussing with somebody. That's not a vacation scripture. A vacation passage opens up the really big, big questions that you would ask walking along in the morning solitude. Vacation passages kind of open up the full arc of what God is doing across redemptive history. And Romans 8 is a vacation passage. Now, it doesn't start off sounding much like vacation stuff at all. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. It goes on to say that we are subjected to futility, bound to decay. You won't find those lyrics in any Jimmy Buffett singing. But this is the place, isn't it, where real life, real change starts to begin. We are never motivated to go to a new place to take some new life direction unless there is some baseline dissatisfaction. Unless we're confronted with the futility of living like we're living right now. Sometimes... When we walk the early mornings of vacation solitude and ask those big questions, we might come face to face with the fact that we're subjected to futility. And sometimes we'll muster up the, the courage to ask some questions that matter. Last week I had finished a morning workout, I'm in the locker room, and a buddy of mine, late 60s, comes down, he throws down his gym bag, and he says, Doc, tell me if you think I'm crazy. I, I drove in this morning thinking I must be from another planet. Am, am, I on the, am I the only one who thinks this way, he said. He said, last night, I'm with a crowd of my high school buddies. Now, let me mention first, he, he grew up here in Atlanta. Uh, his high, he went to a private school in Atlanta. His high school buddies that he's talking about is a group of Atlanta's most prominent. They were the children of the ones who built Atlanta. They were inheritors of the empire, all of that stuff. That's the group he was having dinner with. 
He said, I'm with a crowd of my high school buddies. and it, it, it was fun and lively and all that. But not one conversation included an idea. He said, they talked about vacation properties and re recent acquisitions and how hard it is to juggle the schedule of which kid gets the yacht this week. They talked about stuff, and not one person began any conversation talking about an idea. Well, of course, I affirmed his thoughtful critique that he was asking big questions. I didn't affirm that I didn't think he was crazy, which was his first question, but uh, it had nothing to do with this conversation at all. I just happen to think this friend's a little bit crazy. But sometimes we muster up the courage to ask big, big questions. And futility will do that. Now, there's more than one kind of suffering that leads to change, right? Sometimes we suffer, as we said, from the recognition that our lives, the way we're living them right now, is totally unsatisfying. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And there's some people who have consumed all the flesh has to offer, and their lives have come up hollow. And they ask bigger questions. But the other suffering is the suffering that comes from the outside, not from the inside. Like the Roman Christians who first received this letter, they were suffering under the religious persecution of that time. Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews, had expelled the Jewish Christians from Rome, leaving this trembling group of, of Roman Gentile Christians there by themselves. Now, of course, we're not currently persecuted Christians, but still we do have some understanding of suffering that comes from the outside, health issues, discrimination, broken relationships, injustice, violence. The point is, when the suffering gets acute enough, whether it's from within, am I living a life that matters? Or from without, will this pain ever stop? When life like it is, isn't working, we might be open to hearing a different way. And the Roman Christians who first heard this letter were living inside of their own pain. As Gentiles, they were outsiders to the Jewish club of those first Christians were all Jews. And as Gentiles, they were outsiders to that. But as Romans, they were freaks to the other Roman citizens because they were inside that little Jewish Christian thing and Christ followers. So they're getting no good jobs and no good dinner offerings from either side. They are really outcasts. They're by themselves. And Paul inspires them to look up from their shoelaces and see the hopeful arc of what God's doing. He tells them, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery. You received a spirit of adoption. Children of God. 
heirs. And this is how the first Roman audience would have heard this proclamation about adoption. Roman culture was ruled by patria potestas, power of the father. The Hollingsworth family is not ruled by this tradition. Let me be clear. But that was the Roman tradition. The father's power over his family. So for adoption to happen, it involved a procedure including a three-step process between the two families, the two patriarchs. Then a legal case before the Roman magistrates But there were four important and immediate consequences of an adoption. One, the adopted person lost all rights to his old family. He has a new father. Secondly, he is now heir to all of his father's, his new father's estate. Third, the debts, if he had any debts at all in his old life, they were done away with. And fourth, in the eyes of the law, this is a complete, absolute son of the new father. You can see how they heard this, right? Because this original audience, they're Gentiles. And the earliest Christians were all Jews. But he's telling these Gentile Roman Christians their life is completely changed based on this adoption. You're not just shackled outsiders. You're a child of God. You're an heir to the kingdom. You are an, an inheritor of the hope. What would it look like if we believed that? I mean, we're Gentiles. What if we really understood our adoption? And looked at earth and sky and sea and mountain and did this kind of vacation gaze and said, oh my goodness, I'm an heir. The king's child. As one preacher said, sometime in worship we ought to just walk off the size of our inheritance. Romans 8 is a vacation passage. It's too big for pondering on the way to go get groceries. We need a wide sky to see the size of what God is doing within us and through us. God is redeeming the world through love. God's great project to love humankind into loving humankind. God's outrageous boundless, borderless love, and God has adopted us. And once we see it for what it is, we we can't help but get caught up in it, right? We realize the arc of what God is doing in the world, and nothing could mean more. I want to be involved in what God is doing. I want to worship the God who has reclaimed my life through love. I am an heir. I'm in the will. The inheritance is mine. Abundant life. And if you catch, if you catch even a taste of that, 
All you want to do is figure out how to spend your inheritance. How then might I become an agent of this kind of outrageous love? Consider this. As an adopted child, the painful past is over, debts erased, you belong to the household of God. But unlike any other inheritance, you do not get less of it if more people make claims on the estate. No matter how many people become children of God, your inheritance stays the same. So why would you not spend all of your time and energy telling people you love that they might be heirs too? Well, then Paul shifts to another image about what it means to move from the painful to the glorious. Paul says that our current, current suffering is like childbirth. I'm using a little caution here. I've been told it might be dangerous to speak authoritatively about the pains of childbirth. I recognize my, my restrictions there. So I'm not going to say much, but I do think we get the image, don't we? The pain gives way to life and laughter. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who become first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Well, I'm guessing Paul doesn't know a whole lot about childbirth either. But he's pulling out all the stops. Adoption, childbirth, it's just, it's just urgent and big and glorious. And he wants to communicate to the church at Rome that God is revealing. Look up. See it. See the big picture, please. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. This is a vacation passage. Pay attention. Look up. Think big. All of creation awaits. God is revealing God's plan. You are a part of that plan. You are a prince. You are a princess. You've been adopted into the inherited glory. Wow. And life is full of pain and disappointment. Subject to futility, bound to decay. But God is revealing God's plan, and here is the good news. You are heir to all that inhabits the love of God in Christ. All of your previous debts are erased. God is reclaiming the world through love. And ours is to accept the fullness of this inheritance and tell everybody we know that they can be adopted into this family as well. 
The preacher never knows how and where the sermon lands, how people hear it. But I suppose there are two potential audiences hearing this today. One, those who realize that the decay that comes with futile living has run its course. That life hurts the way I'm living it right now. And you might be open to a new way of living inside the inheritance that waits. And if that's the case, if that's what's bubbling, one of the ministers of this staff would be honored to talk to you today or this week about what it means to be a child of the King. But my hunch is there are others in here who are already aware that you are a child of God and you're just basking again in the wonder and glory and beauty of what it means to be an inheritor. And as the preacher said, sometimes in worship, we ought to just walk off the size of our inheritance and see again the bounty of what God is doing in the world. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.